0: Uh, Alma mater has been confused with something else, maybe something just not football related when you talk about their mascots?
1: Yes. So uh, I went to Norfolk State University and asked the Spartans. We routinely get confused with (laughs) all of the other Spartans. And how I remind people that we are not the other Spartans is that Norfolk State is the only college that has multiple Spartans on any of their iconography. And so that's how I tell people they can remember it. It's Eli, easy to how way. about
0: you?
2: You know, it, it's never outside of football, but it is a extremely sad, tired joke that happens even now. Where I went to Mississippi State, Oklahoma State, and so consistently major sports outlets will not bother to check – The Mississippi State Rebels and or the Oklahoma State Sooners or they'll show the wrong like symbol and the colors are not even close to each other between these two rival schools within states. But they will it is so it's not as bad as it used to be just because brand recognitions going up among the schools. But it used to be like every time they talked about Mississippi State, unless they were the commentator for that game. They would be like, oh, yeah, I love the Rebels or, you know, down in Oxford, Mississippi, you know, it's just so that that happens even to this day so much.
1: <laughs> it never print a retract. No, either. never, never,
2: never do. Never, never an apology even. Yeah, just, How yeah. about
3: our Blue Turf guest? Well, I went to UMass and uh, it's the UMass Minutemen. And um, I think you could fill in the blanks there. There were plenty of jokes. <laughs> Let's just put it at that. I don't know how family-friendly this
0: podcast is. I'll say, I, yes, I think... Yes, or no. It depends anyone on what we're talking is, about. Innuendo is, okay, is okay, okay, and we'll let anyone fill in the blanks, and yes. if there are kids in the car with them, it's up it to them whether they explain to their kids the, the blanks.
1: <laughs> it, hey, I... They can't. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just
2: going to say, yeah, Well, it wouldn't take long to get to get to what those jokes could be, so yeah, plot your own course.
1: They showed up at my high school. Uh, I was in the marching band, and they they came to our high school and put on a show, and was just like they blew my eyebrows off because they came onto the track while all their I think their one drum major was for some reason standing on our logo on the fifty conducting them while they were all standing facing us with their backs to him. Still, just like I thought, I thought about that for years. How could we do that? Oh, I was the, like I was a in, high schooler.
3: Like, we could. I was that. in the UMass band, and I know exactly what we are talking about. And uh, <laughs> oh, that was the best part of every show
1: it's so i love them so <laughs> much they're always great
0: so but anyways jeff why would you ask that i don't know thing? how many people either watch nbc fire uh, department procedurals or follow major league soccer but there is an nbc show called the called chicago fire there's also a mls team that is the chicago fire and it turns out that even though the NBC show came on after the soccer team exists, if you Google the soccer team, you will come up with three results for the NBC show before you actually get the soccer team's results, okay. um, which I uh, went to get some tickets for later in the year going up to Chicago, and uh, it was the, no, I, I don't need to, a listing of the actors in the TV show. I, I just want to buy some soccer tickets.
1: Always maximize your ESO. What are you doing? So the, pro- the problem is the, I'm like a if, if they change know. anything, there would be a riot. Because
0: they had a very awesome uh, logo when they first started the team that looks like it's a fire department badge. And they changed it to the world's most generic corporate logo thing. And people flipped out. So, um,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let me, can I ask you a question about this? Because I, I, I don't watch much MLS, uh, but I do think it's very interesting how they choose the names for these. Like the, the LL, LA Galaxy. I just love that that's what they pick for the name and then the logos are great. How did the soccer team, Chicago Fire, come up with their name? And is it a reference to the Chicago Fire of like... Yeah, so it is, 19, or 18, it is whatever, whatever, in reference whatever, to the,
0: the cow, famous Chicago Fire that was apocryphally started by... a cow kicking over a lantern or whatever um that burned down the whole city so it is a reference to that it was very much a period of sports team names where people didn't want to do the cliched here's animal so it was very much a what are other things that we could aim and a lot of teams of that era both mls teams also a lot of WNBA teams were also found in that era are not like plural nouns they're like, collective nouns. so Yeah. The fever! Catch it! Um, Other than the links, which are <laughs> a plural noun, but don't That's end in S. Amazing. So it's very much still in the WNBA, the team names don't end in S, but it's, you know, referring to multiple of a big cat instead of a nebulous concept.
1: That's right. I mean... I just – I would have – I personally would not have named our soccer team after a famously destructive event where thousands of people were misplaced.
3: But I don't watch soccer, so they didn't ask me. <laughs> it's definitely some dark humor. You can you can probably think of some other uh, team names that are uh, similarly appropriate but also far, far darker. But let's not go there.
1: Yeah. <laughs> or at least I'm
3: what about out. your rivals? What about the Vandals? Like what is that about? Oh. You know, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. That's the, that's the school up north for us. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, that's, that's a really interesting name. I don't know if they have a specific kind of history there, but uh, it, it's definitely an interesting one if you consider the history of the Vandals and kind of all that.
1: We'll have to look that up. Maybe that's a future episode where we make all of Idaho mad at us by then instead talking about the Tigers. <laughs> Perfect. And I think that's going to be our cold open. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to our 12th episode of Feed Your Mascot. My name is Blue, and I am joined this week by my co-host Jeff, who is in a lovely hotel uh, wearing a Star Wars Clone Wars shirt. How are you doing this weekend, Jeff?
0: I am doing good. I'm going to PopCon in Louisville uh, this weekend, so in between driving down and actually going over, I am... Uh, trying to record this in a hotel and not even the hotel i'm staying in because they didn't have a conference room i could use so looking tell me about kroger to...
1: run real quick
0: i uh, i literally know nothing about it but apparently there's a dude that runs a youtube <laughs> channel that is about him going to kroger that he's doing a panel so i will probably be watching that tomorrow uh because that sounds right up my alley of <laughs> someone making youtube content out of going
1: to kroger you can buy jewelry from Kroger on the West Coast. Just so that you know. I'm also joined by my other co-host Josiah, who is wearing a CFL jersey. Yeah. What are you wearing? Got, is it the Winnipeg? As, as
2: always, the Blue Bombers. That's my team. Um, brother wow. lives up there, so you know, got it. Got to support. Got to support the local group. Um, How you doing? Doing you all can? right. Yeah, yeah. It's my my wife's birthday yesterday, so we did a little trip down to the local science museum where they had a like a like an adult thing night where you got to no kids allowed extra stuff got set up like games and trivia nights and stuff so yeah it was it was fun Happy birthday yeah. and that sounds amazing it was. it was very cool
1: And today we are joined by the I want to make sure I get this right mm-hmm. folks We are joined by a management and legal studies professor at Boise State University This is because none of us regulars on the podcast are lawyers and we did not stay at Holly and Inn Express last night. I would like to welcome to the podcast, uh, Professor Sam Ehrlich. Professor Ehrlich, how are you doing this afternoon or this morning? I'm doing great. Yeah. Morning
3: here in Boise. Uh, it's a beautiful day here. I think I'm going to go for a nice long walk later and, uh, uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk about, uh, um, all the stuff, all the legal stuff that's going on with the NCAA. But
1: Sam, I, I want to point out you are a Boise State Broncos fan, fan of the Smurf turf and the blue field out there. Uh, uh, if you don't mind giving us your factoid, uh, tell us about uh, yourself a little bit and <laughs> uh,
3: kind of explain it, flesh it out a little. Bit. Sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Big. Big fan of the Boise State Broncos. Here, uh, our basketball team's been doing really well. Our football team is always good. And yeah, I mean the Smurf turf. It's something that when you first see it, uh, like I first saw it on my 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 flyout interview here. Um. It, it's like wow, that's really different. But it's it's so much fun. It's so cool and. It, it, it's such a huge you know, kind of with the theme of the uh, of the more of the of the podcast um it's it's really just a, a huge marketing opportunity for boys estate as for me um uh, my my factoid is uh i actually did marching band i mentioned this a little bit earlier uh, how i was in the UMass marching band i did marching band uh in college even did uh what's called drum corps uh drum corps international dci uh where i marched the madison scouts uh, and for those who are not aware it's kind of like a Kind of a semi-pro marching band, but uh, yeah, a bit, it was a fun thing to do and a big part of uh, big part of who well, I, I am. If you don't mind my I'm asking,
1: like... oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah that's, that was
3: my question. <laughs> oh, what do I play? Yes, yes. what'd you play? So, I, um, with with massive galts, I played melophone which is kind of like a marching French horn, um, more or less, and uh, I also played trumpet. Very,
1: very impressive. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, I wanted to also ask you. Your favorite obscure rule of football, this is the question I injected when we do interviews because we talk about it all the time. Football is a game of inches, so they say it's about blocking and tackling. It's about uh, the oblate spheroid itself. We named the game after it, but no, none of that matters. Football is a game of rules because we love rules more than anything else. (laughs) The obscure rule you want to talk about is the hashes. If you could go and explain why you picked the hashes and why they're different at all
3: levels. Yeah, it's it's such a weird thing how the hash marks um, in, for for football are, are different at every single level between high school and college and, uh, and the NFL and um, it just it, it's such a weird thing of why it's different. Like you know, I, I, I love all the kind of the differences between college and the NFL, and you know, it's it's fundamentally the same game. It's fundamentally football, but in one you've got you know, uh, defensive pass interference is you know, 15 yards in college versus spot of the foul in, in, in the NFL and all that stuff. But the hash mark one just feels the weirdest to me. And also, you know, kind of going along with my factoid, um, as someone who was in the marching band, we relied a lot on the hash marks when it came to setting drill. And um, whenever we'd have an NFL stadium, like uh, the DCI finals, uh, we're always at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Um, Whenever we, whenever we had a, you know, uh, whenever whenever we were on an NFL field, we had to adjust, and there would sometimes be controversies over, you know, whether uh, the 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 hash marks that they had to draw in for college yes. because we'd always use the college ones. There'd be controversies over whether they were drawn in correctly mm-hmm. or whether they are accurate or just duct tape where they should be. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to redraw those uh, the turf. So
1: somewhere like Lucas Oil is it's yeah. a dome, but it's got turf, so we can't just draw new lines for you guys. We got a game on Sunday. And so uh, Yep, it, it's always interesting exactly. because they can they can put a Final Four basketball <laughs> stadium in there when they want to. So they can do whatever they want. <laughs> but they just choose not to. Oh, they, they and they played some, soccer oh, in guess?
0: there as well, and they have like lines drawn on there that are just on top of a normal NFL and it's bizarre. Um, I know they do Banes of America there as well. So like it, it, I'm do. almost surprised they don't have a specific turf set up f- just for uh band that has the college hash marks and high school hash marks because there are some very fun times when it's like all three because normally Banes of America will have a college band that'll do a showcase at halftime. I know UMass has done that. I think Purdue's done that. Mm-hmm. I did that as well. And you end up with like all three sets of hashes on at once, and it is just the most chaotic-looking thing.
3: Oh, it's so confusing. Because again, when you're when you're setting drill, when you're you know kind of just going from from set to set, you look at a lot of that. You, you, you're you're looking at the yard lines, and a lot of times you're looking at the hash marks as well, because that's just how these these formations are very often set. So. When the hash marks are in the wrong place, it's just it's just pure chaos. I
1: do want to point this out that when the Big Ten has their championship game there, those are definitely college hash marks, and they just change mm-hmm. the whole turf for it. And Josiah, you know, I I wonder is there turf management at either Mississippi State or Oklahoma State as like a course of oh, study? Oh yeah, I mean
2: Oklahoma so, State and Mississippi State, I think both have really well established turf management programs. I know MSU has won awards for the field turf at our football field. Um, it didn't look great in the spring game because you know things you're changing out grass types and all that. Spring, yeah, yeah I learned. was like, whatever. Oh, um, everyone kept and Oklahoma State famously made the grass that was used for the Super Bowl, but they did not manage the field, which is why it was so wet and slippery. Or maybe it was the national title and who whatever game I forget. There was a lot of slipping mm-hmm. and sliding. It was kind of a controversy. So
1: both games,
2: yeah, that's true. true. And so it was, you know, we, we they make really good grass, is what I'm saying. And not the not the kind that you smoke. Although we might eventually do that too.
0: <laughs> so As, uh, I think the University just, of Mississippi has like a unique contract with the federal government where they're allowed to grow that kind of grass for research purposes, but nowhere else is. Which I find very funny that it's the University of Mississippi is that school there's, that's doing that grass growing. There's for. a lot of jokes,
2: a lot of jokes locally that. about that. Absolutely, the like the fence around that plot had like barbed wire on top and stuff so that people wouldn't get in there. <laughs> and take a sample
1: the magnolia state everybody (laughs) everything is mississippi so this week we've got an app for you uh jeff is going to talk to us about unique brands and how we can recognize them a little bit better and how we stand out i'm excited to talk about that we're also going to then go into our main course this week nil bills and you how the, the sports are going to change as we go forward with name, image, and likeness. We actually have a bill in that has been proposed, and it's working its way through the Senate, and then one working through the House. We're going to look at the Senate bill proposed by former Auburn and, I think, University of Mississippi coach who was supposed to leave in some kind of box, didn't explain himself, uh, Senator Tommy Tupperville from Alabama, and then also, for some reason, friend of Nick Saban, current head coach at the University of Alabama, Senator, uh, uh, mansion of West Virginia. And then we're going to do our dessert, which I'm very excited about folks. We're going to talk about the Canadian football league. You get three downs. We're going to throw for 80,000 yards in a (laughs) career. And we're going to run up the score because you can punt into the end zone and get a point. So we're going to talk about them, their mascots, their team names, and maybe some of their stories. Uh, Luckily for us, we had someone who has a brother who lives near one of these Mm -hmm. teams. And so he might've gotten some insider information. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Jeff because this app and the unique brands is something exciting for me because as someone who in the small number of teams that the, the field is the same color as our jerseys, I'm really excited to talk about this. So Jeff, why don't you tell us about the app?
0: Yeah, so kind of inspired by uh, the Chicago Fire, uh, kind of the idea of creating a unique brand for um, sports, and obviously you want people that are interested in coming and watching a sports team to be able to know that there is a sports team locally to go out and watch if they're interested in that sport or just know about and maybe later they're interested in or they just want to check it out or other people are talking about it and they can recommend it if they're moving and you want to stand out from other competitors you want you want you know if there are other teams in the same sport or if you could choose to watch a team far away on tv versus one close to you in person how do you get that recognition that people are more likely to choose you. So the Chicago Fire, obviously are in a city that has a lot of passionate soccer fans, but has really struggled to get people through the door, Um, which is a lot of failing on their own marketing and, um, and also a little bit of where they used to be location wise. And the fact that they're in a city that can, that you can just get drowned out very, very easily because there's so much going on in Chicago. So, you know, Comparing that to a lot of other colleges that seem to do a very good job of getting people aware of them. Um, So, for example, a lot of newer schools that are, or schools new to football often are swamped by the other brands. So Charlotte, for example, I have been to Charlotte to visit family. That is never the school that stands out. It is the other older, bigger um, North Carolina schools or South Carolina schools because Charlotte is actually closer to probably Clemson or University of South Carolina that it actually is to UNC or um, NC State or the, the schools that are in the research triangle. Um, and I feel like what's always interesting is the schools that are make a big effort to be loud are the ones you recognize. So UCF, that had an athletic department, was really, really pushing for people to say, hey, we're the national champion they kept themselves in the conversation because you had an athletic director saying this over and over, um, and it definitely made people pay more attention. Um, you can have Coastal Carolina that has a had a coach that would say, you know, outrageous things of, you know, yippee teal, but people are paying attention to weird stuff. They see that. They're like, okay, I now know about this Coastal Carolina that has teal as a color and... Uh, Fancy Rooster as their mascot, um, or FAU that had, you know, Lynn Kiffin just kind of saying outrageous things on the internet and, like, renting a tiny train going around. Like, these things that you find and you can see and, you you know, you pay attention to even if they're not good on the field or if they are good in the field and just could get ground out. You're like, okay, this is interesting and new, and I now remember this.
1: I want to, I actually want to stump for Coastal for a moment. (laughs) Because, for one, my niece actually went is an alumni of Coastal. She went there. But more importantly, they have a long line of coaches who say outrageous things <laughs> because the coach – before the coach that you're talking about said, we don't want any cats in here, meow, looking at themselves in a the mirror. So <laughs> it's a very funny story about how dogs and cats are very different, and he wants, he wants dogs on his football team. So, I want to kind of flesh this out a little bit because we, you know, you talk about Arsenal all the time, how they they started out as maybe defending all the weapons in all the city of London and making sure that they're able to, I don't know, uh, do colonialism and empire (laughs) across the globe. (laughs) But, you know, I I do want to kind of get into this because. Our guest is a is a fan of, of of Boise State. They painted their their field blue. They had to get NCAA approval to do it. Everyone said they were crazy, and then they went and won a Fiesta Bowl against I don't know some small state school from I don't know Oklahoma. I think mm-hmm. who knows. Nobody can remember anything. <laughs> but I want to ask our I want to ask you, Sam. Can you kind of walk us through? You know, you said you went there, you saw the field, came in, and it kind of it blows you away when you see it. But what does that do for people in, say, the East Coast who don't watch much football, turn on the TV, and they see this team wearing all blue running up and down the field that's also blue?
3: Yeah, it's kind of funny um, because, you know, when when I, you know, told all my friends that I was interviewing at, and then eventually when I got the job at Boise State, um, there were two things that were brought up. One was potatoes. (laughs) <laughs> um, because Idaho and potatoes, and I will say they 100% live up to the hype. They are amazing here. Um, there's a restaurant here called the Boise Fry Company that has French fries with, uh, hamburgers as a side. And they specifically call it a side. Um, that's kind of the attitude about. I'm on my here. way. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I <was just> saying, <laughs> road trip. <laughs> okay, there for dinner. Uh, shout out. They're not sponsoring, but you know, shout out. Um, yeah. <laughs> But the other thing that would be brought up is the blue field, of course. And it's kind of funny because, you know, in my orientation here at Boise State, um, we hear all about, like, the fact that, you know, a big reason why Boise State is the way that Boise State is. So the reason why we've had, you know, as an institution, as a university, we've had a big growth, big trajectory, big positive trajectory, has been because of the football field. Because of that Fiesta Bowl versus Oklahoma with the three-trick plays, um, like, in that orientation, we saw highlights of that football game because it's like, this is a big part of identi- our identity. Um, like, at the school, um, you know, uh, one of our driving initiatives is um, blue turf thinking, which is the idea that, you know, in research and teaching and in, in service, we're going to be innovative. We're going um, to ha- take it to the approach where we're going to stand out because we're going to be different, because we're, we're going to be innovative. That Again, that blue turf thinking. Uh, we also have a strategic plan the University, that they call the blueprint for success. Which um, I'm loving again, this. Kind of I, 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 I don't know. We should do more <laughs> of this. And, and the, the, the best part about it is, you know, they they tell us the story of the blue and kind of how how it came to be. Um, it was not intentional. It was um, our football team was, you know, our you know our, our athletic department was running out of money and the. Uh, you know, we're, we're given, you know, a couple of options. Um, we could get a green field, but the green field, since it was more in demand was more expensive or we can get a blue field. We could just get blue turf and it would be a lot cheaper because, you know, it's just not as, you know, not, not as sought after, you know, people would use it for like end zones and stuff. But, um, so we decided you know what it you know, our colors are blue. We're just going to get a blue field and it just took off. And it's such a huge thing for us. Like the blue is a core part of our identity. Um, you know, whenever we have job applicants, um, we try to take them out there to just to show them the, the blue. Uh, there's a little there's a little viewing porch from the um, from the, the Allen Noble Hall of Fame where you can actually go out and see the blue. Um, in fact, uh, maybe this is because just because I was you know my research is in sports law and you know uh, the people who are on my hiring committee and just via my my future colleagues knew that. But when I had my flag interview, they actually two different professors, two different faculty members me out to see the blue so the second time i had to be like oh this is yeah. great i haven't seen this before even though I even does saw that it. say broncos on the end zone oh man
1: oh that's great i i, I want to kind of get josiah roped in here as well so josiah, we talk about uh infrastructure and we talk specifically about community infrastructure and and and, and all of that how does something like that kind of fit into recognition to awareness to standing out from competitors. How does that infrastructure being built up and maintained affect some of these critical things for a brand? I mean, it's, we've talked about how
2: mascots and symbols create like focal points of meaning. Um, and this, you know, you get them through lots of different ways. And it's usually the most effective ones are surprising, like the blue turf. It happened for reasons that weren't intentional, like, let's make our field blue because that you know it just it happened to be that way and then you embrace that and everyone goes oh yeah this quirkiness is fantastic um, and so you can try to manufacture that like Mississippi State did at one point they put we were one of the first schools and one of the few schools because they outlawed it to do hashtags when you know that was still a relatively new feature on like social media in our end zone so hashtag hail state was the end zone for a while as a way to, like, let's build a digital brand. Let's do this thing digitally. And, of course, then people were like, you know, NCAA is like, don't do that. Um, but it creates a singular. I hate fun. Yeah, I mean, just don't, don't. That's not okay. Um, <laughs> but it creates that focal point, And that is the shorthand that can connect to lots of different things is really, really functionally useful. So, like, the university doing the plans saying let's make this our academic like shorthand blue turf let's make this our shorthand here and here then you can really make the identity cohesive but also easy to tell people like an elevator pitch you know if you have to talk to me for 10 minutes to explain the plot of a movie versus a two-sentence blurb that's going to be a different experience and for institutional identity it can work a lot of the same ways you know it's, it's honestly, it's memeable. Like you can create jokes, you can embrace it. You can make your own versions of it. And it disseminates so much more when you can do that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I I really do like that idea of putting the hashtag. I really like that because as an ag school, we can do our own turf. We put it all out there. We want people to see us. And then the NCAA was (laughs) like, don't do that. Don't be innovative. (laughs) It's like, don't be innovative. It's very silly, but that is the NCAA's motto: don't innovate ever. Um, <laughs> Jeff, I really want to talk about the memeable kind of mascots that you kind of have on here. You got one from Rocket City, and after you get into, we get into a couple of those that we talked about. Let's talk about some pitfalls of this same idea.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the they the double AA affiliate of the Angels, but the Rocket City trash pans that are kind of right outside. Um. Huntsville, Alabama, which is where Redstone Arsenal, a lot of aerospace stuff is, so um, that's the Rocket City part, and they took trash pandas from Guardians of the Galaxy, and it just kind of took over the internet, because a lot of people that aren't super necessarily in the weeds of minor league baseball see, you know, that part of a subculture embraced, and they are like, okay, this is cool, I want to seek this out, I want to buy merchandise, even though... I may never go to Huntsville or I'm not actually that interested in baseball, but like, isn't it cool to have this little raccoon? And and like I've got a shirt that is, you know, cause they had to cancel the 2020 season and it's like the little raccoon and it says 2020, just trash. Um, my brother-in-law is an angels fan. So he also has some rocket city trash panda stuff, but that's, that's because he actually cares about uh, them developing talent.
1: Also in Huntsville, Alabama, A&M University. I, I saw one on here that I had put for these memeable mascots, and uh, this was one that kind of our server adopted, broadly speaking, and one that I've stuck with because I love when new teams come in and start making hay about it. Boise State's a pretty good example at the, at the turn of the millennium. But the University of Texas San Antonio, UTSA, they're, they're the roadrunners. And they we may know them as the Runners, but we absolutely know them as the Meeps, and we, we they should put that on their end zone of just meet Meep, but they haven't done that yet. Uh, I saw we had another – I think this is minor mm-hmm. league baseball, but if it's not, Isaiah, tell me what this is, but what's going on in Savannah, Yeah, the Georgia? Savannah
2: Bananas, they, their individual identity isn't necessarily as memeable, but they have made the production of the game an entire experience, which means like there's videos of it getting spread like they do, like one of their outfielders would do TikTok trends running out onto the field, you know, when they changed over where he would have somebody follow them and then they'd post it. So like the whole thing is an experience. They want it to be fun to go to the baseball game and energetic. So they do goofy things. Um, And so maybe the banana part, it's cool, but it's not like the... But they've allowed that memeableness to like permeate the whole activity. It's really, it's really fun. I've never been able to make it out to that game because I live very near them. But you know, it's the sort of thing
1: they are criminally, chronically online. <laughs> yes, chronically <laughs> online. Yes. So I see
2: them a lot.
0: <laughs> and I think that's the big thing with a well, lot of these is they they understand that people, when they see something cool, will share it with their friends and share it with their friends and will share and and they make a very concerted effort if you're going to try and market through internet word of mouth to do those kind of outlandish things that draw people's eyes that then they're feel like sharing that
1: yeah of course Sam you were going to jump in what'd you have there
3: yeah, it was. Um, it, it's interesting that you say that, just about, you know, I haven't been able to, able to make out through the game. The Savannah Bananas, like, they've actually, like, their kind of identity, their kind of way of doing things, it actually, it's become such a big thing. They've started barnstorming. Oh, cool. Like, they actually, like, tour, are, are starting a tour around the country now to kind of, you know, have their own thing. I think what they're trying to do, and trying to do to, you know, a, a pretty successful extent, um, I think, is I think they're trying to become, to a certain extent, the, the Harlem Globetrotters um, or Harlem Wizards of a baseball. Um, you know, kind of where they're gonna, you know, they're they're gonna play baseball, but in a completely different way and kind of a more fun way. I mean, I'm a big baseball fan. I think baseball is fun, but definitely in that more of a kind of, uh, you know, kind of stylistic uh, kind of sense um, that you, that you've seen from the Globetrotters for such a long time. I think that's kind of what their what their long term vision is, and you know it's they're they're doing barstool tours now, which is kind of interesting. It's
1: funny you say that because they, they remind me of a full team of the Ace of Diamonds from King of the Hill, and so <laughs>
3: oh yeah, I, I love
1: it. I think it's very funny uh, because my wife found them, and then they uh, they all went to the mound, and uh, uh, in the mid aughts we have this song called "You're a Jerk." And there was a dance associated, and they all started doing that at the at the mound in the middle of the game as the pitcher was about to pitch. It was just a very Perfect. funny. It's it's good because again, it's it, it's not traditional baseball, which has all its unwritten rules. It's a little less stuffy, a little more engaging with the crowd. They bring kids out to you know you can throw with a player like they. they it's, it's what baseball used to be of the – again, I love barnstorming. I talk about the barnstorming area of the NFL all the time, uh, and so I love that. But I, I do want to ask, Jeff, you want, you had something here about pitfalls, and not specifically 2T two- pitfalls, but just regular like I dug a hole and you fell in. What do you mean by that? Kind of walk me through what, you, what you've got here.
0: Yeah, so I think one thing is obviously as you're doing a lot of these interesting meal things, you want to make sure you're not going so far into cringe that people just – Write it off or are turned off by it. Um, I think the other thing that I have that really is sad in a lot of cases is when teams fail to do take advantage of pre-existing interested communities. So when I talk about the Chicago Fire, there is a really massive um, Mexican American community in Chicago, and you know you can walk around Chicago and see people in soccer jerseys, but a lot of those soccer jerseys are for you know Club America or Chivas or, you know, teams from Mexico that people are passionate about because either they've emigrated or, you know, family has emigrated, and those are their connections, you don't see Chicago Fire stuff. You don't see people really thinking about it and talking about it. Um, and that's partially the team hasn't done a great job of marketing in Spanish language and marketing those communities and putting themselves in those communities to bring people um to games, And that's something that people around the league have really criticized Chicago for, but also other teams that are in similar situations. Um, there are teams that have done really great jobs um, with Spanish language outreach and outreaching Hispanic communities in their area. Um, LAFC has done a really great job with that. I know on the football side, UTSA, that's one really big and unique thing is they've been heavily involved in spreading football into um, Hispanic community locally where a lot of places don't do that. And if you're somewhere that does have a really big community, if you're leaving people out of the sport, that's from a, you know, dollars and cents perspective, you're leaving revenue away. You're also, you know, not putting it in the whole community and the benefits you can have for the whole community aren't going to, um, the whole community. You also have teams that do a really good job of bringing local history and teams that don't, um, St. Louis, Seattle, Portland, on, on the soccer side, those cities have really deep histories in the sport, and those teams have done a good job saying, the history of the sport didn't begin when our team was founded. We're building on a history, even though our team might only be in its first season, in the case of St. Louis. St. Louis has a really deep history. And I think as you're building those brands, if you ignore those his- the history, the people that are already interested in the sport are going to ignore you because they're like, what are you doing? Like... We're just going to keep doing our thing.
1: I, I want to really touch on that, Jeff, because that's a great point, because we look at some of these these older sports. And Josiah, I really want to get your your input on this. But if you look at, say, baseball at the turn of the century, when they're advertising to a lot of the immigrant communities of uh, look at the Dodgers before they moved to the West Coast or the, the New York Giants, same or the Yankees, they were all reaching out to these kind of unseen communities, your Italian, your Irish communities in in New York. They're telling them games are cheap. We're going to serve the food you like. We want you to come support your local team with guys that look like you, Jeff, particularly some of the Jewish baseball players that were playing for these teams. You know, I, talk about that, Josiah, because, again, this goes back to our cultural infrastructure yeah. where we're grabbing these communities and saying to them, we want you to come be a part of this because some of our you know, the upper, the hoity-toity types, they don't want to watch the baseball of the Charlie Dodgers that are going through Brooklyn. Yeah, it's it's
2: it's all, um, like, I mean, it's a, just, you know, extension of what Jeff is saying, like, making sure that you're tapping into those communities and not allowing the pre-existing prejudices to, <laughs> so speak in more capitalistic terms, like, neutralize your brand potential. You've got to have, you know, if, you, if, you, if you've got people that are wanting to consume it, but you shut them out with, Caricature mascots or just mascots that don't fit with what they are interested in an experience that doesn't fit with what they're interested in. Because I think, again, going back to the Savannah Bananas, they're also trying to be a very family oriented thing. Like you bring the kids here because they'll have fun because, you know, baseball is a good sport, but some kids are really into it and some kids the pacing of it doesn't work for them. And so they're trying to kind of meet everybody where they are. Um, so they're like, okay, well, families, we want them to come. So how do we make that happen in addition to all the other things they're doing? Um, and I mean, naming and branding, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a weird bent to this pressure to name your team a certain way to brand your team a certain way. And, you know, sometimes that leads to really boring, bland names like the Washington commanders. Like, what is that? I don't, I I will forever criticize that as the, it's just so aggressively boring like there's nothing interesting in that it's such a missed opportunity to tap into any part of Washington DC's culture and history of any sort and you know all in the same Yeah centers. like again speaking to communities there's no connection to the very broad and vibrant black community in that city and it's it's a very significant part of that city's culture that football team does not Apple acknowledge it. Yeah, doesn't acknowledge it at all. And if they did, even if it wasn't the only thing that the branding acknowledged, that could be very cool. But they're just like, no, nah, we're not doing that. We're, we we got to make we got to pick something that's arbitrarily tough and arbitrarily bland and market it to white communities rather than going for that unique thing that fits with what we are here and trying to get those people to connect. Like Jeff was saying, you know, you you tap into these local communities and. You'd look past the old prejudices and you can build super cool stuff
3: hey go ahead sam i know you want to jump in yeah I mean, yeah i was gonna say i think there's a perfect example of exactly what you're just talking about Josiah. um but with in fact also in washington dc with what happened with george washington university yes. um i don't know if you guys heard about this but uh they recently did a rebranding away from the colonials begin given the uh kind of touchy uh implications of that name um and there was a huge push on campus to name it to, to have the new, new mascot be the hippos. Um, I don't remember exactly what the connection is, um, but you know, I know there was a big there's a big connection between George Washington University and the hippos. I think there might have been some story about George Washington owning a hippo or something like that. Some kind of connection there. It might even be a hippo statue on campus. But all the student body wanted it, and they ended up calling it the Revolutionaries. Which is so boring. It's so bad. Uh, it's. And and, and from the outset, they ruled out the hippos, and everyone was really disappointed, and everyone was still pushing for it. And sometimes you just got to listen to the people. Mm -hmm. You really do.
1: So I'm sharing my screen really quickly with my uh, my co-hosts here, and I'm going to read this as a story because uh, this comes out from the – I want to read this here. This is The Washingtonian which is, I believe, the, one of the primary uh, uh, newsletters or newspapers of the, of the city of Washington, D.C. And in January, the hippos' nickname was just pushed aside. And the hippos have been an unofficial mascot at GW for years, as The Hatchet reported in 2005. Most people know the story of the hippo or some version of it. University President Stephen Joel Treckenberg purchased a bronze statue of a hippo from an antique store while on vacation in New England in 1996. As a gift to the class of 2000, the hippo statue was placed outside of Lisner Auditorium. Since then, it has received an increasing amount of attention on campus and was declared George Washington's unofficial mascot in 2001. And so, again, when you talk about what do the people want – versus what do the people get, you wind up in this situation where we're now called the revolutionaries as opposed to maybe the hippos, which is the thing that everybody wanted in the end. But enough about that. We're going to move forward, if that's okay. If anybody has any other thoughts, I want to go ahead and get to our main course. When this week, the... uh, uh, The Protecting Athletes, Schools, and Sports Act of 2023 was proposed by two senators, Senator Tommy Tupperville of Alabama and Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. And so this is to kind of set the parameters for name, image, and likeness as a framework going forward. Their main proposal is to have this process be kind of overseen by the NCAA. I'm going to turn it over to Jeff. Jeff did a lot of the principal work for this. We've all read the bill. Uh, I don't understand it fully. I can fully admit <laughs> that. That's why I asked for to join us. As I always try to say, we pay people for their opinion. I don't want to do that. I want to get people who have expertise. But but Jeff, kind of walk us through how we're going to structure this segment, what we plan to do, and then give us the first question to uh, Professor Elric, or excuse me, Ehrlich so he can kind of go ahead and get us started here.
0: Yeah, so kind of format is kind of read through – kind of going through of these are some of parts of the proposal and then kind of we will ask um, first of all, um, kind of questions that we have as going about this because there are some things that kind of we can see that we might like or dislike in the bill but there's also a lot of questions of how the law how this proposed bill might relate to other law um, particularly when you talk antitrust law that has been heavily involved with litigation regarding college athletics, things like free speech um, that are also a concern, um, as well as some, like, how does minutia work? Because the rest of us aren't attorneys. We don't know the law in the same degree. And obviously this is a bill that has been proposed but is in draft. So this is, I don't think this has actually been um, filed yet. So this is an early draft that Sports Illustrated obtained. Um, so there are things that could change and it could just be a, the way sausage is made, there are some weird inconsistencies that might need to be hammered out or things like that, that it could just be the answer to why is this weird is, well, some staffers are eventually going to come back through this and, you know, change it, or it could hit the amendment process on the floor that another uh, senator might say, hey, isn't it a bit weird that X, Y, Z, um, and they might raise concerns there. and you know, in a final version that could become law, which this could also not become law because the U.S. Congress is busy and has a lot on their plate and also are relatively soon about to go and campaign for quite a bit of uh, next year before 2024 election. So this may just sit on somebody's computer for, you know, three years until the next session where there might be a little bit more time. And that could be composed of a different Congress that may be We'll want to put something different forward, anyways.
1: Um, that sounds great. Um, I, I want to start. You know, we have the Senate. This is the one we're talking about. Senator Manchin and Senator Dubberville. The varsity intercollegiate athletics program only includes NCAA programs as defined by this bill. So I had this question in particular. It jumped out to me, and I want to bring it up to Professor Ehrlich. Does this bill not apply to NAIA or other NCAA, non-NCAA college sports?
3: And see, this is where I think we get into the first instant of kind of inconsistencies and things that need to be cleared to up in the drafting process. And again, it is important though, that this is an early draft. It hasn't been proposed yet. Jeff is correct on that. Um, maybe it won't even be proposed. Maybe it'll be something that, you know, just kind of uses kind of a way to negotiate, um, with, with other members with other stakeholders. Um, but yeah, I mean, to your, to your point, to your question, the bill exclusively refers to the NCAA. It does not refer to intercollegiate athletics, um, uh, associations broadly, like other bills do, like other bills say, you know, this bill applies to any, um, any intercollegiate athletic, uh, uh, association, whether it be the NCAA or the NIIA or any other ones, but this one specifically says refers to the, as refers to the NCAA specifically and refers to the power specifically of the NCAA. And kind of the interesting part here, though, is when it de- were defined student athlete, it defines student athletes as an individual who engages is eligible to engage or may be eligible to engage in the future in intercollegiate athletics, which is much broader, which applies. Certainly to NIA, to junior college, to even high school athletes, which, uh, again, I mean, uh, again, just things that just need to be cleaned up in the the legislative drafting process.
1: I just want to ask a quick follow-up. Previous to this Mm -hmm. bill, NCAA only managed – enrolled collegiate athletics that were member schools of the ncaa it's never before really dealt with say high schoolers who were either recruits or weren't actually
3: enrolled in a college is that correct well it doesn't it doesn't um it has entry rules for um for for athletes to be uh enrolled in uh intercollegiate athletic programs and ncaa eligible programs it says that You know, if you're someone who has received money for to play sports in the past, you are not eligible to be an NCAA athlete. So in that respect, it does apply to, you know, it does apply its rules to high school athletes. It does apply its rules to recruits, Um, similar to how the NFL manages the draft, um, where, you know, the NFL in managing the draft also governs, you know, through the collective bargaining agreement um, that outlines the rules of the draft. It does govern college athletes to a certain extent, even if it's college athletes who are going to be in the NFL or at least going to want to be in the NFL someday. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say it does. The NCAA does regulate high school athletes to a, a pretty broad extent through its recruiting rules. No, that
1: makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Uh, we had a couple questions on restrictions on third parties. Uh, was that Jeff or Josiah's question uh, when we got that put into the doc? That was Josiah. Uh, okay, no, go that ahead, Jeff. I was trying to, sorry, oh. I was pointing, oh. I'm not oh. Oh. gesturing. That was You're not, that's confusing. I no. shouldn't do that. <laughs>
0: No, no, no. I understand. Jeff, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So also reading through, I think they the restriction on third parties where third parties can only promote the athletics program, provide recruiting assistance, or provide benefits um, to student athletes if there is a contract with a college, which makes me wonder, does that mean that if I, just a random alum, say, hey, Purdue's really cool. You guys should, you know, look at Purdue on as i'm on a podcast so the dozens of people on the internet that listen to this um would that then be illegal and also how does that dovetail with free speech where in theory as long as you're not reaching protections around things like libel um and defamation they're typically pretty broad protections on what kind of speech you can have and regulation a regulation like this might come against a constitutionality challenge.
3: So the, the first part of your question, um, you know, does this, does the way this is written, does it apply to just random people on Twitter, you know, messaging their favorite recruits saying, hey, you should come to Boise State or, hey, you should come to Oklahoma State or anything like that. Yeah, it does. Um, because the, the specific language, it says a third party may only promote an intercollegiate athletics program assist with recruiting or assist with providing benefits to recruits, enrolled student athletes, yada, 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 if the third party is formally associated with the institution of higher education through an official contract. And what does it mean to promote an intercollegiate athletics program? That could mean anything from, um, you know, kind of the traditional ways that colleges reach out to recruits to even just saying nice things about the intercollegiate athletic program. there's a concept in, and this goes into your sec, the second part of your question regarding free speech. There's a concept in First Amendment law. There's a there's a really important doctrine in First Amendment law called the Overbreath doctrine. And the overbreadth doctrine essentially says when a statute, when any kind of government a- action is written so broadly that it impacts protected First Amendment speech, then it's going to it's unconstitutional on its face. It simply can't be applied and there are really broad standing requirements here. Standing is, of course, who is allowed to bring a lawsuit, where really, you know, if, if something's overbroad, you don't necessarily even need to be personally injured by it, though. In this case, most people would be personally injured by it. Um, usually in litigation, you have to, you actually have to have a personal kind of injury here, uh, whether it be physical, economic, or uh, anything really, you know, kind of, anything that you can actually kind of attribute some, some, some dollar figure, or some, some harm to. Um, but for overbreath, as long as you can show that you know you're you may that this is affecting your ability to speak, which the way this is written, it certainly does. It's going to be a problem, and you know this is really just a classic example of overbreath. And in fact, there's there's even precedent here. There's a case that uh, that I've written about in this in this context, a case that I just think is it's so on the nose here. Um, I'd love for someone to even just send this case to Tuberville and Mansion um, if they were to care What's that about that case name, this. Um, oh, Professor? Uh, it's called Crew v. Aiken. Uh, A-I-K-E-N. Um, it's a case from twenty or from uh, two thousand four in the Seventh Circuit, which is um, the uh, the federal uh, the federal kind of appellate area that encompasses Illinois, uh, Indiana, kind of that area around there. Um, Crew v. Aiken. Uh, it's a case where a college professor at the University of Illinois. Was emailing recruits at the University of Illinois, um, you know, emailing football recruits at the University of Illinois, and saying, "Hey, we don't, you know, you shouldn't come here. You shouldn't come to the University of Illinois because, um, you know, we have this Native American mascot, and it's really offensive, and um, that that's bad." And the the president of the university stepped in, and you know, first of all, they contact the NCAA and said, "Is this going to be an NCAA violation?" And the NCAA said, "Yeah." Even if you're dissuading athletes, potential recruits from coming to the university, talking to recruits, uh, if you're not officially sanctioned, is an NCAA violation. So the president sent an email and said, just to be clear, faculty are not allowed to talk to athletics recruits unless we kind of sanction it. The faculty member and, uh, you know, a few uh, and several colleagues filed this lawsuit and the court said, no, you can't restrict the faculty member's speech in this way. And even even though there's a lot fewer speech retri- restrictions for, um, for for employees of a public institution, for public employees, even if those that speech is going to be a lot more restricted than just a member of the general public, which is what the statute would apply to. The court came in and said, no, this is a overbroad because you're touching on political speech here and political speech is the most highly protected form of speech. And two. The fact is, this is also what's called a prior restraint. Um, You're stopping someone from speaking before they're even allowed to speak, which courts really, really, really disfavor. Um, Anytime you have any sort of prior restraint here, that's going to be a big problem.
1: Understood. That really kind of clears it up because we had a question about that. If there are people in our modern connected era, there's more known about recruits before they ever – catch a pass, throw a pass, catch a, catch a pass, formula football than ever before. And we can contact them on social mm-hmm. media if they're open to such a thing. So uh, that's and interesting yeah. that we're now going to have to reconsider some of those changes because this law was, as you said, early 2000s and we're now in the 2020s. But we had a question about mm-hmm. transfer restrictions. You know, presently transfers are wildly becoming more and more of the wild, <laughs> wild west that originally it was you can sit out a year, but then that went away. Now there's multiple transfer deadlines. Some coaches don't even know who's going to be on the team today in June for a season that starts in August. So we wanted to walk through what some of these restrictions in this bill are suggesting. Maybe if you could kind of clarify them for us. The question we had is, May, does that mean a waiver doesn't have to be at all? I know, Jeff, you had to maybe some more ports to this question.
0: Yeah, so the way that the the restrictions would be is the NCAA can decide windows, which I think they already have, and I think a lot of people, including a lot of coaches, are supportive of that because that kind of creates periods that you're not constantly having to be involved in recruiting and you can focus on other things. Um, The way this written says, you cannot play in the same academic year as you enter a transfer portal. A waiver can be issued if you or a waiver may be issued, and may is the verbiage used um, in the bill if you have three years of eligibility that you have used, um, there is a death a, as a, of a family member or a terminal illness, a um, coach has left, or um, anything else that the NCAA decides. And I know that typically in um, law, may and shall have very specific meanings and so is in this case a may a the NCAA could decide it does not want to create this waiver process or is it the NCAA may issue a waiver it's up to them in a specific case but they have to take up cases?
3: Yeah you hit the nail right on that um like you said may and shall are incredibly important law of words when it comes to contract drafting um and that's also applies to statute drafting um May is permissive. Shall is mandatory. And um, those words are very, very specific when it comes to drafting contracts, when it comes to drafting statutes, Um, because, you know, and you're instructed in any kind of contracts drafting class in law school and statutory drafting classes in law school to be very careful with those words, because, again, it's going to create it's going to really define the nature of the restrictions here, the nature of the agreements here, the nature of the expectations here and yeah you're you're right um and and i think that it's really clearly stated in the fact that you know this effective transfer uh subsection in this in section four transfer portal it says effective transfer for the first part it says in general a student athlete enrolled in an institution of high education who transferred to another institution of higher education shall be ineligible they use the word shall here they're very careful with that shall be ineligible to participate in any athletic competition sponsored by the NCAA during the academic year in which the student-athlete entered the, entered the transfer portal. Yet for the waiver part, they're not using shall, they're using may. So it's creating this kind of permissive restriction where it's saying <coughs> the NCAA, NCAA, if you want to do this, you can do this. If you want to have this policy, you can have this policy. But they are not, if, if they wanted to, you know, make it so the NCAA had to do this, had to, have this policy have to have these waivers at all they would use the word shall, and they and they didn't and i think the fact i i think i i think it's you know uh, this is something that you you have to assume was very intentional i want to ask about that um sorry go, josiah i'm to step over you there when when the ncaa came into
1: existence over a century ago during the theodore roosevelt administration it was meant not specifically to be a governmental body you kind of He asked the schools to get involved, and that they created this framework that became the NCAA. Now, the federal government is seeking to be more involved. It has gotten more and less involved over the century of its existence. But this bill seems to pretty clearly say we are now going to give the NCAA specific legal power and, and, and structure. Is this a greater departure than I'm expecting or used to? Or is this pretty common over the lifetime of
3: the NCAA? Well, having the federal government step in and do things like this is decidedly uncommon. And there's a clear reason why this is happening. Um, And, Jeff, you brought up earlier antitrust law, and that's the exact reason why this is happening. Um, After NCAA v. Alston, you know, the Supreme Court case back in June 2021 that even if the mandate, even if the specific finding of the Supreme Court was not... Um, The NCAA, you know, is going to be liable for antitrust for NIL and for transfer restrictions and for all these different things. Even if the specific mandate of the Alston case was specifically related to education-related expenses, the Supreme Court was very clear that, no, the NCAA does not have an antitrust exemption. No, we're not going to give them any kind of special treatment when it comes to antitrust law. And... You know, that's even ignoring the, the Kavanaugh concurrence, which was even more scathing, which even more clearly stated, no, the NCAA is not above the law, um, and there. So, so you may be asking, why is? And I think this goes directly to your question. You know, why is the federal government stepping in here? Why, you know, do you have transfer restrictions? You know, the the transfer policies that are also that are already codified into NCAA policy. Why do you now have them in a federal statute? And the answer is antitrust, because the NCAA very much wants an antitrust exemption. The NCAA also recognizes, I think, very clearly at this point that it is politically unfeasible for them to get an antitrust exemption. So they're going to be a little more subtle about it. Um, And the fact of the matter is, when you have something, when you have the federal government saying you can do something, when you have the federal government saying you have to do something, that creates, that, that means it's not going to be subject to antitrust law. Um, because there's a there's a state action antitrust exemption, um, and courts are going to treat this as well. If Congress wants you to do this, if Congress is telling you to do this, then clearly they don't see it as illegal, and you know clearly they saw this as a way that is something that's not going to be subject to antitrust law. So the fact that you have these transfer restrictions in here, the fact that you have the federal government saying these things that are already a thing, and um, you know it, it's. You know, if you look through this bill, if you look through the entire bill, it doesn't give a clear antitrust exemption. It gives subtle antitrust exemptions through including specific policies in here. And I think, I I really think that's the reason why this is in here in the first place. Yeah, Um, I would imagine they would want to be subtle. Oh, go ahead, Jeff.
0: Yeah, there's another section that what probably would be in a lot of other cases considered antitrust where it restricts how contracts are written, where it has to be. So it says that you can only enter into NIL if the... Agreements in writing, it has defined who the parties involved in, what the scope is, the time frame, um, the compensation, and the NCAA um, writes a uniform contract that is then used. Um, and you could say, well, that would potentially be an antitrust violation in that it limits the kinds of contracts that you could enter into. Um, but it, then if it's, you know, because it's federal law that does this limiting, that, that is something that... Wouldn't be an incident, I thing because it's said by the government, which honestly looking at this probably very much, there's a benefit in that you have a lot of people that are, you know, 18, 17 may not be super used to reading contracts that having a relatively simplified contract structure might be really helpful. Um, and it can make sure that you don't have people ripping off um, a lot of student athletes. If you aren't necessarily defining Um, compensation or avoid confusion where I know that there was um, an NIL agreement involving BYU where there was a little bit of confusion between what was said by um, the CEO of a company and what was understood by a lot of the student athletes that were benefiting Um, and you know there may not have been any malicious intent but the lack of confusion wasn't good for any of the parties involved Um, although that the way that restriction works, it requires one semester of coursework, which if you are a one-and-done basketball player or a really exceptional freshman in football, it really limits your ability to earn in that first year that you're playing or only year that you're playing in, in the basketball case.
3: Yeah, and I think that goes right to the heart of a lot of this, which is that having a uniform standard contract, um, even if... For NIL, it's completely infeasible because the expectations of every NIL deal is going to be different because it's not, you know, it, it's not the same kind of transaction. You're going to have very different kind of forms of transactions here. And you're also going to have very different businesses who are going to partner with college athletes who maybe they have their own standard contract. Maybe they want specific things in their contract that may now be run afoul of um, these university you know, standard contracts. In general, it it, it is good policy to have certain types of contracts have certain requirements on them. Um, Generally speaking, contract law is incredibly broad. Um, Contracts can be formed even orally. They don't have to be in writing. They don't have to be signed, which is kind of a misnomer that a lot of, uh, I know a lot of my students have, They, they all think, you know, oh, it's not a contract unless it's signed. No, there are a lot of contracts that are not signed. There are a lot of contracts that are not even written down. Um, they're still legally enforceable because that's the way contract law works. It only requires offer, acceptance, consideration. Um, as kind of the base elements, and but there are contracts, and there's this this concept in contract law called the statute of frauds, um, which defines certain types of contracts that must be in writing, that must be you know that must be signed in some cases. Um, for example, um, contracts that are going to last longer than one year, because you know, the government says, you know, you know, these contracts, the ones that are going to these long term contracts, these contracts that are going to last more than one year, we should have them in writing so we can be clear about, um, you know, what's going to be in them. So there's not confusion after a year as to what exactly was was going to be expected in this contract. Um, contracts for the sale of land as well, because of how complicated those transactions are. So it's not out of the realm of the possibility. Of, of, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It's not out of the realm of public policy even to say, let's have these NAL contracts be in writing. Let's require them to be in writing. Let's require them to have these specific things that are really gonna make everyone's lives easier. And I think that's great. I, I really like that. The problems that I have with it though are one, you know, you have a uh, section 5A7 that says, conforms with the format of the standard contract template developed by the NCAA under Section 9A, 4B. Okay, well, what is that standard contract template? Is it going to include a bunch of NCAA rules, um, you know, where that really just constitute the NCAA getting in the way of these pr- private contractual rights? And then, of course, the enrollment required, um, which again, why? I mean, well, why is this stuck in this section anyway? <laughs> that's a totally different thing. But the fact that you're requiring athletes to, you know, to, to go through a full semester of coursework before they're all allowed to enter in NIL AL deals. That, to me, just feels overly paternal. And um, and, and like you said, Jeff, it, it really going to impact players who are like one and done. Or um, maybe after a semester of being in college, they just realize that they don't want to be there.
2: That happens. It feels a little bit to me like if some of this stuff came into play, we would be re-inviting the Bagman network to come back even further. I mean, it still exists, of course. NIL didn't bring all of it above the table, but I'm guessing, like, it's like, well, you can't get money before you come here. I would assume that that would just reinvigorate that subclass of, like, booster types because, you know, if, if we can't do this legally, well, we're still gonna get the recruits. Put the money into McDonald's. Yeah. Thing. So,
0: yeah, and I mean, a lot of... There's a lot yeah, of things in, in here making it very clear that you cannot use NIL for inducement, and that's technically NCAA policy at the moment, but it's, I think everyone is somewhat aware that part of... There is you know, a bidding process for a lot of athletes, and athletes are aware of their value at different schools may vary and have paid attention to what um, boosters are at different schools are willing to pay for them being at those schools. And so... Yeah, it's very much a, I understand there are a lot of people that don't like that, but one that's really restricting what student athletes can earn, and and that's bad. I mean, these are people that have worked really hard to get where they are in their sport. They deserve um, the money that's being made off of the sport that they have worked really hard to do. It is difficult to play football. Um, It is difficult to play football at the level that you would become a D1 FBS or uh, FCS athlete or even, you know, a D2 or D3 athlete. Like, football is a hard sport. Um, And yeah, it very much is a mix of, almost feels that there are people that don't like that and want to reset to what their thought of the ideal of the sport is that it really never was in the first place.
3: Yeah, whether the NCAA wants to admit it or not, there is an economic market for the services of college athletes. Um, And that's not even just football players or basketball players. That goes to every sport. Because every sport is going to have people who want the the best athletes to play at a particular school for whatever reason, and they're willing to pay money for that. Um, Labor has value. Labor is a commodity. Labor is something that you know, whether it be a college athlete or someone you know who works in a factory or someone who's a CEO, that labor is going to have some value, and you can try to control that. You can try to um restrict that market. you can try to create this kind of ideal amateurism type of thing. But Josiah, just like you said, it's just going to create backman. It's just gonna, you know, um, have people work around the system because that's what always happens. That's what always happens when um, you try to restrict these markets. And we saw that for many, many years uh, prior to July of 2021 when NIL became a thing. And we're seeing that in this NIL era um, with these kind of, Barely coded nil deals, um, and you're going to continue to see it until you actually have pay for play, and probably even after that, because you know if you have um, you know it's kind of standardized con- standardized compensation terms, if you have anything like that, um, there are always going to be people who you know just want to give that extra incentive to go to a particular place, and that you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to that away. You're not going to be able to take that away. It's just not going to happen.
0: Yeah, I mean, you see that in pro leagues that, in theory, have cap compensation, um, like the WNBA. You had um, Mark Davis get in trouble for providing um, better travel arrangements for athletes for the Vegas Aces, which would be, which is a you know massive thing that could encourage players to go there because the amount that you make as a WNBA player, and a lot of times the amount of travel and conditions. Yeah, better travel conditions are great. And you had that in a league that in theory has um, tight regulations on spending and probably too tight regulations on spending, both in how you can structure contracts within a team as well as the overall team spending limit. I mean, you have MLS that every so often will make new exceptions to its salary cap because they understand the marketing power of bringing specific athletes in. I mean, that's how David Beckham got in the league. That's how Messi is getting in the league. Is
1: Wait, what's happening? I'm sorry. What's going with kickball? Did something happen?
0: <laughs> yeah. So a couple weeks back, uh, an agreement oh. <laughs> was reached between Major League Soccer and uh, leno Messi, who you may or may not have heard of, uh, and his
1: famous Argentinian the, soccer player who won a yeah goal probably yeah. the best
0: player currently playing the game, um, or probably you know, of people that have had their current career uh, best overall career of of active players and among the best players of all time. Um, no one wants to have that debate uh, on this podcast of who the best soccer player of all time is because you'll get weird answers. Um,
1: is not Landon uh, Donovan? They keep telling me
0: it's Landon Donovan. Uh, <laughs> Landon Donovan may not even be the best American. Let's be honest. Let's, oh, uh, I, well,
1: I don't know. They're all they're all playing Anyways, kickball. so. But yeah,
0: like all of, obviously, Donovan ended up playing on what's called a designated player contract. That is the same contract structure that sure. Beckham played in the league. That is a cap exemption. For a limited number of players, so that you could bring in the bigger names. Messi is getting a deal where he won um, the team he is playing on, their entire existence is based on Beckham having as part of his compensation the right, the option to purchase an expansion team at a heavily reduced rate. So that is Inter Miami. Inner Miami came to existence with a much lower expansion fee than other teams at the same time. Messi is getting, I think, some equity in the team. He's also getting um, a decent portion of any growth in subscriber fees from the media partner for MLS, which is Apple. So, like, he is a very specifically structured contract because MLS is like, yeah, we want to have a restrictive salary cap, except for when it limits us bringing in really marketable players. And we'd like to bring in arguably the best player currently playing and a huge name that is going to, you know, bring in people that may not have. Gone two games before two games. We're gonna subscribe to the TV package. I mean, the in Chicago at Soldier Field for a Wednesday night game. The cheapest tickets were two hundred bucks. L.A. Labor Day weekend. The cheapest tickets were five hundred dollars after the messy announcement. Like, yeah, it obviously wild. is proving this kind of thing works. But very much, yeah. If you're gonna try and have a closed market. People are going to circumvent it if the demand makes sense because the labor is that valuable.
1: <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty wild because that's – he's getting a lot of money to come play soccer here in the United States. Um, so speaking of restrictions or not having restrictions, they are putting a litany of restrictions on, on student-athletes. I'm not sure if we're going to go over all of them. Jeff, if you feel like you want to read them off, that's fine. But suffice it to say, there, there is a wide swath of things that are restricted in these NIL deals.
0: So, Blue, just just to, to make yeah, clear yeah. the language in the bill, what is one of the restrictions um, very clearly is schools can restrict what kinds of businesses athletes may do NIL deals with. They don't have to. And one very sure. interesting clause of this restriction is the school also wouldn't be able to do business with those kinds of businesses in promotion. So the list is um, adult entertainment um, and kind of generally adult products, use your imagination what those are, Um, alcohol, gambling, um, tobacco and marijuana, pharmaceuticals, uh, controlled substances, um, drug paraphernalia, weapons including firearm and ammo. Um, And those are things that that schools could say, hey, as an athlete, we don't want you promoting that, but the school also would not would not be able to promote that. So if Mizzou wanted to tell a, tell players, "Hey, you can't do NIL deals with um, alcohol companies," Mizzou could not have a sponsorship from Anheuser-Busch.
1: So I, I wanted to ask about this, professor. Is this some kind of First Amendment issue with state institutions? And I, I, I ask because. Several stadiums serve alcohol during football games, and so they have partnerships with these entities. As this is written, if your stadium already serves alcohol and then you say to your students, well, we don't want you to go partner with our partner who's serving alcohol, does that now say the school can't serve that particular brand of beer in their stadium? Like is there a restriction here for first amendment for the players is what i'm really asking but how does this affect the broad scheme of things
3: yeah it's kind of interesting um uh the the way that this is written and um i mean i mean first of all these these restrictions um you know restricting athlete nil rights um for certain industries it is not uncommon um most state laws um have similar restrictions usually in similar industries um some of them are even um, not permissive, like this one is saying schools may um, restrict this. Some of them say shall. Some of them, you know, say you know schools have to have these requirements, have to force or have to prevent athletes from doing this. Um, and um, this one's actually better than most because it does have the uh, well, if the institution bans this, then you know they can't um, they can't partner with it too. Which again, you know, morally um, speaking is. I guess a little bit better because you're not kind of you know kind of double faced in that regard where you're saying, well you know you know athletes can't promote uh, gambling products, but we're going to have a a (laughs) DraftKings.com. Yeah, Um, so I mean at least it's it's kind of fair, but yeah, I mean your your point about um, you know if Mizzou uh, forbids athletes from having um, a deal with uh, Anheiser or from having deals with alcohol companies, does that mean they can't sell? Uh, alcohol products. Well, if you look at the language of the draft, the language of the bill says an institution of higher education may not enter into a contract with the person already described in the paragraph if the institution is prohibited enrolled. when I mean, enter into a contract, that that is incredibly broad. That is not just promotions contract. That's not just having a sign on the stadium. No, that means any kind of contract. So I think We're you're running looking the
0: line. Given the the pharmaceuticals pharmaceuticals are I'm no are in there, um, that seems like a weirdly written bit of law because you could see a one research contracts where schools are often being paid by um, pharmaceutical companies to do research at their institution Um, (laughs) sorry a lot of schools do excellent research in developing you know life-saving um pharmaceuticals and pharmaceuticals that improve quality of life for a lot of people um go ruckers um that's right baby (laughs) (laughs) Um, you also have, yeah, I mean, I, schools are buying pharmaceuticals for university hospitals, student health centers, and I would assume that you'd want to continue doing that because offering healthcare uh, services to your students is a good thing to do.
3: Man, you're just giving me way, too, way more to write about, to, write about uh, to research, because I did not think of any of this beforehand, and I... I was going to say, I, I, I wrote a paper um, along with uh, Neil Turnus he's at Arkansas State, um, a good friend of mine, a uh, close colleague. What's the title um, of the paper, Professor? You know, we, wrote, we wrote a paper on First Amendment issues um, in college sport, or First Amendment issues with these NIL restrictions, the ones that are at the state level that are banning athletes from uh, engaging in NIL deals with alcohol products and porn and uh, casino and gambling and all that, all all stuff like this, um, along with other things that I'm sure we'll also talk about. And yeah, there's first amendment issues there, but we did not think about the fact. Well, I mean, this bill just came out, and this the the whole like if you can't if you forbid athletes from doing it, you can't do it either. That's a novel thing. I've not seen that in any of the state laws. Um, but yeah, wow. Um, I mean, presumably, I mean, since it's you know, since you have permissive language here, uh, presumably Rutgers is not going to prohibit athletes from partnering with pharmaceutical products because of this. But Yeah, that is, a, that is a giant restriction on university. I'm not sure the founder, I'm not sure the, the drafters of this legislation really, really thought through. Um, not to, you know, call them out like that, but I guess I'm calling them out like that. <laughs> yeah, and obviously <laughs> yeah, it's a draft, some, draft and like the amendment process
0: because that's <laughs> for a reason because I'm sure that you would have, um, I don't actually remember who this, the current senators yeah. from New Jersey are, but they would probably raise... Raise this. Booker, a, that would be hey, Cory like... Booker
3: and Mendez. Yeah. Well, I think I think Cory Booker is going to have a lot more problems <laughs> with this bill than just that. But he will former he will certainly athlete. point that out. I'm sure. Former What's NCAA that? athlete Cory Booker, and a very strong advocate of the complete opposite of this bill, which is you know having a bill that gives college athletes a ton of power and really restricting what the NCAA does. Which, um, yeah. Um, definitely the opposite side of the coin from this. Again, he's going to have a lot of problems with this bill. That's certainly going to be. Sorry, right, you wanted to jump yeah, in. Yeah, I was, was going to see got?
2: if you thought that. Um, I'm looking at this and thinking in terms of not just contracting, but um, I know that there are independent like contractor type situations where people get on streaming sites. I mean, for adult stuff, there's like OnlyFans, there's Twitch, YouTube, um, where people could get on those. Athletes could get on those using their star power but not directly doing an nil deal and doing some stuff on there do you get the sense that that would be restricted still or would they be able to like if a, if someone wants to do like pipe tobacco reviews on a twitch stream like is that something that if the university is like no we don't do tobacco but because they're doing it on their own on like a stream is that would that be a potential kind of workaround in that digital space or is that still something that you think like this doesn't really address at all
3: well i'm going to answer your question okay. by kind of correcting on something the, that okay. would all be NILs. like an yeah. nilb isn't necessarily something that is just um you know a contract hmm. to promote a certain mm-hmm. certain product um any kind of any kind of any kind of use of your name image and likeness um me appearing on this podcast is a use of my name image and likeness we just don't call it that because NIL is a thing that we're just calling with mm. in the context of college athletes yes. for some reason, but right of publicity is significantly broader than that. Um, Naming would like this significantly broader than that. Um, so yes, this would absolutely restrict someone from going on Twitch and having, um, you know, you know, reviewing tobacco products. If the school um, does say, you know, we're going to prohibit this. Um, and it would also prevent uh, a college athlete from going on only fans as well, um, which we haven't gotten to the first amendment issues here. And there are a lot of first amendment issues.
1: Professor, I wanted to ask you: Could you give me the title of that work you had with the professor from Arkansas State, so we can add that for our show notes?
3: Absolutely. Um, the The paper is called "Putting the First Amendment in Play," um, and I can't remember the subtitle. Um, uh, but uh, that that is definitely the the um, the first title because the idea is that when the NCAA ceded its regulatory authority over name and likeness um, to states and schools um, in their uh, kind of uh, And so, gang, just to kind of give a little peel behind the curtain, we actually have, you know,
1: everyone recording on their own device. We had a memory issue, so we actually had to stop. And we're actually going to go back to get more clarity on our question. But the question we were asking the professor was about First Amendment issues for athletes having these restrictions put on them by this law, because now it's a federal issue and not an NCAA, which is a private entity. Professor, can you kind of give us an explanation of the myriad of First Amendment issues we're running into and how we're going to have to mitigate that with the creation of this bill.
3: Absolutely. So when you have a public actor, when you have a government actor uh, regulating speech, and to be perfectly clear, um, named likeness activity, when you go on Twitter to promote a product, um, when you do a commercial, when you uh, go on Twitch and um, want to advertise uh, or want to talk about your favorite cigar brands, um, that is all speech. Name like this. The use of your late name like this is speech, um, and a speech that is rest- restricted and has been restricted for many years by the NCAA. But the NCAA, under um, a case named Tarcanian, the NCAA or NCAA v. Tarcanian back in um, back in the 80s, the NCAA is a private actor. They can they they can trample over whatever constitutional rights they want to trample over. But the fact is that public universities, state legislatures, and certainly the federal government, the federal legislature, the Congress. They cannot. They are. They are bound by higher restrictions. They're bound by the Constitution, including the First Amendment. So when you're talking about, um, and there's really two key issues in this bill in particular um, that would really bring up First Amendment issues. First of all, the um, kind of the 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 industry-specific restrictions that you have here regarding pornography, alcohol products, casino gambling, tobacco, etc. These are what you call in First Amendment parlance, um, content-based restrictions. And there's a key difference between content restrictions um, and content-neutral restrictions. Content-neutral restriction would be um, you're not allowed to speak um, at this certain time or in this certain way or um, you know, at, at this certain place. Like you can't, you know, you, you know, you know, maybe you can't bring a, a sign into a football stadium. But it changes when you're saying you can't bring a political sign into a football stadium. You can only bring signs that say, go team. Because all of a sudden that becomes a content-based restriction. You're regulating the content of the speech. You're saying you can't say a specific thing. And courts, really the First Amendment in general, um, the way the First Amendment has been interpreted and the way kind of public policy regarding free speech has been interpreted, when the government's coming in and saying you're not allowed to say a specific thing or express a certain (laughs) viewpoint, that is significantly worse and going to be significant more dif- more difficult for the government to do for the government to show justification for than a content neutral restriction. So when you're saying things like um, you can't partner with particular industries because we find them objectionable, the government's going to have to have really a very, it's going to be a much higher degree of scrutiny here, a much higher, you know, the government's going to need to show a much more compelling government interest here um, in order to be able to overcome the, the the personal interest, in order to overcome the individual interest of being able to make the speech, of, of the right to free speech. So, so a um,
0: compelling interest in this case might be, hey, having you know 18 to 25-year-old athletes um, promote something like alcohol or tobacco would be promoting to young people in particular that would be, you know, less able to make decisions about that. You might you know, have high school kids seeing someone that's close to their age talking about how you know how niche these cigars are. And that would be an issue that would be a potential issue where there might be a government
3: um case. Yeah, and I exactly and I and I think to be clear, like a lot of these will withstand uh the scrutiny level that they're assigned to, whether it be Intermediate scrutiny, which is kind of the traditional commercial products thing, Um, you know, commercial speech is generally a a lower level of scrutiny than um, many other um, kind of like political speech, for example, is a lot more protected. Um, But also you're talking about the fact that it's prior restraint, which we talked about, you know, earlier courts don't like prior restraints. And this is a prior restraint. This is telling someone you can't speak before they actually make the speech. So while a lot of these will they, they will be co- found to be constitutional because the government interest is, is really strong. When you have situations like, you know, kind of the Mizzou situation we talked about where if Mizzou is selling pro- alcohol products in their stadium, if they have deals with Anheuser-Busch, if you know, you're watching commercials during football games for, um, for your various erectile dysfunction pills or for, for beer, and then you're turning around and telling the athletes that they can't make the same deals, courts are going to look at that a lot less generously because it's, it, it's kind of hypocritical in that sense. You're 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 allowing it. You're allowing the schools and the NCAA at large and the conferences and their, their media partners to make these partnerships, but you're not allowing the athletes to do it. That's it's really going to kind of uh, drive a hole into this. And then you also have the issues of overbreath, which is that a lot of these statutes are uh, a lot of the state statutes in particular are just not designed very narrowly. They're not treated very narrowly. Um, my favorite one is in Mississippi, um, where they have a uh it's and this is a shall this is not a may this is a shall institution shall uh prevent athletes from partnering you know entering and NIL deals that conflict with institutional values well what does that even mean how do you define that and the issue is that you can't and the issue is that it, it it's very easy to see a situation where that is impacting political speech and courts are going to be very opposed to that and um you also have conflict language in here regarding kind of the, the apparel sponsors here, and that's a First Amendment issue as well. Um, because, and this one, the, the I will say the Mansion Tuberville bill uh, is a lot kinder on this conflict language on the, you know, you can't, athletes can't enter into a deal um, that conflicts with an, with an institutional contract. Whereas, you know, if you're a, a Nike school, you can't enter into an Adidas contract. Um, I will say this bill is a lot kinder than some of the others. Most of them are very most of the state laws in this respect are very broad and say you just can't at all. This one at least says during games and um, during event sponsors or during institutional sponsored events, which is a lot more narrow, which um, kind of brings up makes it a lot more narrowly tailored, which makes it a lot more kind of feasible. But there are still questions there, and there are certainly questions for some of the other iterations of the bill that are much, much broader.
1: Yeah, that really does kind of paint a very a, a vivid picture of what can and can't be done, particularly from the perspective of the student and the university. Um, we had one final question on this section, our our, our main course. Um, so you weren't going to escape because I'm a double HBCU <laughs> grad from having an HBCU question. Uh, my brother, he went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technological State University, which is no, better known as North Carolina A&T. And so we want to talk about J.R. Smith, who, he played basketball uh, near where I grew up because he grew up in Jersey, and so he was playing basketball. He won the All American game, but then was recruited to go to North Carolina, and then never played for North Carolina. He actually then got drafted into the NBA in 2004. So I wanted to ask, what do we do about He's these athletes? He's also currently who,
0: playing college golf, which is where that's the, what this I was going to ask.
1: He's playing college golf for the Aggies with North Carolina A&T. What do we do with these athletes who started in one sport? go off, have a professional career, and then come back to college, which I think everyone, if they have the opportunity, time, and availability to do so, get their degrees, finish them, have the college experience, what have you. What do we do with them playing another sport? The NCAA has strict rules on this, but these NIL deals may change some of that calculus.
0: And there is a specific language in the bill that creates a trust fund that one of the things it does is it covers travel expense for – um, family members of sporting meds. The other thing it is designed to do is cover out-of-pocket medical expenses as a result of playing college athletics for a period after um, eligibility expires. And the phrase used is eligibility expires, um, which is interesting in a case where you have, you know, J.R. Smith is an example, um, Brayne another example of players that would be ineligible in one sport but then come back play in a different sport
3: yeah it, it's, it's a really interesting question because I, I think there's a lot of things that that clause in particular the um you know kind of the the, the health trust fund um clause just didn't didn't really think about I mean, it it's, it's again one of these very paternal clauses that are just like you know, we're not going to give you, um, you know, we're not going to give you these benefits. We're not going to give you these healthcare benefits until you graduate, because we want to make sure that you are graduating. And you know, if you're leaving early to go play in the NFL or the NBA or um, anything else, um, you know, that's you're you're going to be just fine because you're you're on a professional contract, and you know, we don't need to worry about you. And the fact of matter is a lot of reasons why college, well, why college students in general, let alone college athletes, don't graduate. And Sometimes it's of their own volition, like they're leaving for a professional league or they just don't want to try or they just, you know, realize that college isn't for them. Um, Sometimes it's and I got a lot of flack on Twitter about this, um, but I stand by it. Sometimes it's the college's fault. Sometimes advisors. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes, um, you know, programs change. They go away. Sometimes you could also have someone get hurt or have
0: to drop out yeah, to well, take care of a family member or their life situation changes such that they can't continue.
3: Yeah. And that's not their fault. And, you know, again, that's a, kind of their own volition, but it's also kind of not sometimes, you know, kind of on that, um, you know, if they get hurt thing, sometimes you have a traumatic brain injury mm-hmm. playing football or any of the, the other sports. Yeah. and All of a sudden you can't pay attention in the classroom and all these different things. And, now, now this bill is going to tell you that you're not only able to get the you know the long-term healthcare benefits um, because of that situation. That, that seems backwards to me. That would probably be particularly um, helpful in that situation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is just, and I also have a big problem. One like percent uh, of annual rep proceeds. I mean, come on. Um, but that's that's a discussion for another time. But yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's just another thing where um, you know the the language here tries to be. Paternal in a way that um, really just throws away a lot of the complicated complicated nature of of these situations. You know, college sports, um, eligibility in college sports is a lot more complicated than I think this bill makes it out to be, and then, you know, even the NCAA makes it out to be at times, and, um, you know, just being in college is a lot more complicated than that. So, yeah, I'm just, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not a huge fan of this bill. That is uh, certainly one of them.
1: Well, thank you for that. We really appreciate your time and your expertise going through it with us. Uh, I know you write a lot of uh, academic papers in addition to your – your if you do any actual legal in-courtroom work. But uh, if you can figure out who's running this trust fund so that we can uh, yell at them when they make a mistake, <laughs> that would make me very happy because it's very vague on who's running it and what they're doing with all this money. Well, the problem so, is it's going to be here. not by the NCAA.
3: <laughs> well, and that makes me very uncomfortable. Although
1: oh, there's, there's some
3: so interesting language in here. Yeah,
0: That the FTC can go after the NCAA if it doesn't do what it is um, supposed to do in per the bill, and can actually be called a uh, will get a penalty uh, for unfair and deceptive business practices, and could also lose their tax exempt status, which is interesting. That there are a number of interesting features of this bill, and that is one of them that it does put um, gives specific responsibilities to the NCAA and. Gives them consequences for not upholding those responsibilities.
3: Here's the problem with that, though. Um, there's a there's a federal law called Sparta. Um, speaking of the Sparta, yes. I earlier, um, <laughs> federal yes. law called Sparta. Sparta. It's the um, uh, I, I can't remember exactly what it, uh, what it stands for, but it's all about the, um, it, it. It imposes certain requirements on player agents, on you know rep, you know those who represent athletes in transactions, specifically uh, college athletes. Um, this bill was passed in the early 2000s, and it gives the Federal Trade Commission, in the manner of sim, very similar to this bill, the power to go after unscrupulous agents. Do you know how many agents have been prosecuted under this act? Zero. All of them. Close. None of them. Zero. The Federal Trade Commission doesn't care about this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, so I've looked fair. it up, Professor. I have the name. It is the Sports Agent Responsibility and Trust Act of 2004. Go.
3: I, I got confused because the uh, the Sparta the SP is both they're both from sports, and I was That's like, correct. what does that stand for? And then then yeah, it's that it's one of those uh, weird um, kind of uh, um, acronym type of things where they clearly wanted to, to stand for something, and uh, they got it, and mm-hmm. then yeah, <laughs> just weird. <laughs>
1: Well, that makes my day to know that we have laws named after Sparta. <laughs> and I'm going to move directly into our dessert, which Josiah mm-hmm. was uh, – he was in here. Uh, he whipped up a nice buttercream frosting <laughs> to go on top <laughs> of his red velvet cake. And so what are we talking about here with the CFL and why are all of their names strange to American football?
2: Yeah, uh, we are talking about branding. We are talking about name and image, and it seemed like since CFL is kicking off – pun intended um, – that we it would be a good time to just sort of talk generally about this because the way they came to the names feels very distinctly different from the way we in American sports come to our names or at least that it that it feels so different to me from when you look at NFL teams there's a, a, a often a violence inherent in the name itself a lot of the time uh, or it is meant to have a ferocity a sort of You know, some kind of some kind of fighting spirit behind it, whatever it is. I mean, you've got the New York Jets. That's you blow stuff up with that. Um, And not all of them fit that exactly. But there's that sort of quality to these. But these names feel a lot more of more tribute oriented. So in every time I read through these, I have to remind myself that where this came from is usually not the w- place I would have assumed so I'm gonna go through a couple of these and we can kind of talk about them um, There's only nine teams I might just whiz through all of them not all of them have that zigzag quality, but so many of them do um, so Winnipeg blue bombers they are <laughs> No relation to the airplanes no relation to bombing it all over the field It's a tribute to a boxer who was nicknamed the brown bomber by a journalist and they just kind of stuck when the color was added to it the Ottawa red blacks they were called the Rough Riders at one point point. In honor of Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders, which I'm like, that's a different country, y'all. But um, they they had kind of a rough history, were disbanded, but their colors were red and black based on those Rough Riders down there. Um, but because there's another team in Saskatchewan called the Rough Riders, when they came back into existence all the way, the CFL was like, uh, we can't have two of you guys, so you got to pick a new name. So they're like, oh, red, black. We're red and black, so we'll just be the Red Blacks, which... It, Okay. Uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats, or the Tie Cats a lot of the time. They merged two teams, Tigers and Wildcats, and decided we're going to just... What is what is a Tiger Cat? I don't know. It's just a weird Honestly, name. There is
0: an interesting thing of, like, a lot of British teams that have united in them came mm-hmm. from... There were, two, there were yes. multiple teams in the area that they then merged because of financial issues, and that's why, you know, Manchester United is Manchester United. There yeah. were a number of teams in Manchester that all merged into this club.
1: Is that the same for DC United or they're, they just, copied? no. So
0: a lot, of, a lot of MLS teams <laughs> are just copying stuff from, uh, of course. Europe. So DC United is just a copying. Um, a lot of the ones that are just, you know, city name, football team or city name, cool. uh, city name, uh, football club or city name soccer club are, are that way. Uh, real salt Lake is because the original <laughs> owner was a massive real Madrid fan. And so just decided that he, <laughs> the team, you know, we all felt like uh, there's not monarchy in uh, Utah, as far as I know. You sure about
1: that?
2: <laughs> um, a couple more. Uh, we've got the Toronto Argonauts, which is started by a rowing club. Um, they and, and it is the oldest pro team in North America, if you use the qualification, of course, that is the, using the same name and has been in the same city. There are older franchises that have changed names and that have moved cities. But if you're talking about single continuous franchise in one place, that's, I think by at least their own historical account is the Toronto Argonauts, which, you know, again, okay, Montreal Alouettes. It was, it, it, the history on this felt very unclear to me because it was both that French song. It's like, Alouette, jaunté. And like, you know, it's about plucking the, the feathers off a Skylark, which is an important bird in this part of the world. And then, it's also the name of a Canadian, a French Canadian fighter squadron. And they'd say like,
0: both of those are hey, the planes! reasons. Yeah, planes. But, <laughs> but it also. <laughs> it bounces out the Blue Bombers for not doing planes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we but, did. you know,
2: it's a children's song or it's a work song. It's it's a song about killing a Skylark. Um, And that's our football team name. It's part of where it came from. Edm- Edmonton Elks, that's a bit new, but that's because they were named after a term starts with an E that's used towards Inuit people that. Isn't exactly their favorite term. Um, and for uh, what was interesting to me is that they were the Edmonton football team for a brief period, which is a great name, um, but they didn't, they didn't screw mm-hmm. it up. They kept an E name so they could keep their double E logo and Elks makes sense in the area. Anyway, um, then you got the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which are not named after Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders. They're named after a different set of Rough Riders from Canada. Uh, you have the British Columbia Lions, which are named after two mountains, that are called the lions. So they're not named after the animal. They're named after mountains that are named after an animal. And then the Calgary Stampeders, which is named after a rodeo that happens in Calgary that is not not the, you know... and They use a horse. It's That whole thing is in there. But the Stampeders, named after a one of, if not the biggest rodeo in the world, one of the biggest in the world, or at least in North America, it's apparently a huge rodeo that happens in Calgary every year. Um, but yeah, so these names... I every time, it, it's always funny to me. They feel like there, there's just this, you know, confusion to me. But what's interesting is they are all they're all so tightly sewn and knit into the fabric of the local community that it's inscrutable to me at times. Like, what? Why would you call your team the Alouettes or the Argonauts? It's like, oh, well, because, and then you go and you dig in. There's just this long history with the name.
0: Yeah, and I mean, if you grew up with. The Alouette folk song, it's its a natural connection that this team is naturally connected to because these are all, or for the most part, a lot of these are very localized traditions that you're connecting to. Um, and like, you know, if knowing that the rodeo in Calgary is a you know huge cultural event, Calgary Stampeders, you know, builds off that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then when you hear these Canadian teams, it's it's always nice that they're 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 not your standard insert yes. mascot. Like calling them, you know, the Red Blacks. I like that because yeah. it's it it gives it a feel. Yeah, it's quirky. Canada's <laughs> a quirky place, and they said we're going to name our teams that way. And, and, I love and it. as we've talked
2: about, you know, before recording, Red Blacks is a name where I was really unsure of where that meaning was going to go, and then being like, oh, that's that's just the name of the colors, that's all it is, it's, there's nothing else to it, you know, a little bit more reassuring, because I feel like a name, a team named that in America would have a very different history, so...
1: To so your point, I was gonna say they have all the things you want in your mascots. They have the quirky, you have your local, you have your lore, you have colors that are just r- randomly mm. the mascots, and we even have a team we had to change yes. the name because we were making <laughs> fools of ourselves. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's perfect. perfect.
2: It's beautiful. It's yeah. fantastic. So yeah, I just thought that was interesting. It's and great. if nothing else, it gives you a primer. Which, te- if you wanna, if you wanna follow a CFL team, it's a good time. We can talk more about like the rules and other stuff related to that. I have some favorite rules like Lou mentioned. I love that you can punt out of the back of the end zone and score one single point. I think that's perfect. Um, we but, need the rouge. We, we need, need the rouge in American I want American it football. so I unironically want it yeah. so bad. <laughs> like I want to see that. I want to see a 1-0 Iowa score. Like I need I need that in my life. <laughs>
1: But the one, one. The one is the, the one opponent. opponent. Yes, <laughs> yes. I need a 1-0 American. But what is the cyclone? Iowa Yes, State
2: has exactly, oh, one. exactly. exactly. I or two, two he to one. Two to one would be also amazing. Win <laughs> oh, off a safety.
0: Uh, I have watched games that that's all they want, Those games wanted to be. I mean, I. I don't know how in West Lafayette, Indiana, we got the uh, Wake Forest Virginia Tech nil-nil the regulation game. But mm. we got that on our television, and so Carly and I watched that getting back from a Purdue game, and we're just, you know, <laughs> resting after this? that. And that is the game on, and we're just like, is this actually happening?
1: Unbelievable. <laughs> Two furious chihuahuas getting ready to fight. Unbelievable. Yeah, man. One on oh, penalties, what great episode. too, I...
0: because the, the scores yeah. in... Um, overtime were both field goals.
1: That's right. Fury is no offense. It's great. That's what they do in the ACC. And it was even it's a... wonderful.
0: uh Wakey Leaks game. Oh, that's, that's the right. funniest bit.
2: I forgot. Ugh.
0: It was one of the games it's involved so- in that. And it still... I drew them. It was just... Everything, everything you learn about that game, it just gets...
1: It's more deeper and, and deeper. more
0: insane. And I I love college football for having that. Like
1: That picture of Beamer at re- end of regulation zeros. So zero. excited. Oh my yeah. gosh. The greatest thing he's ever seen. Perfect football. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect defensive football. <laughs> oh man, Virginia Tech, you guys rule. Um so I think that's gonna be it for us today. I think we've recorded enough. Uh, thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Uh, our co, our special guest had to leave us a little, a little bit going on at home, but uh, we're going to give everybody one last opportunity to sign out for the the episode. Josiah, anything you want to leave the people with this week?
2: Go outside when it's nice in the morning. Don't do it in the afternoon. In Oklahoma, if you go outside in the afternoon, you're going to melt.
1: No, no melting, melting, please. Please don't stay die. healthy. Please stay safe. Summer is coming, everybody. Jeff, anything you want to leave the people with before you go?
0: Have a good uh, whatever you're doing this weekend. Yeah, if you're places you can be outside, do that. And I'm in Louisville right now. We're going to be at our convention and go to a uh, racing Louisville game tomorrow afternoon. So watch some nice. uh, NWSL in person. So a lot of fun there. But uh, yeah, if you are somewhere that it's hot, uh, be safe, hydrate, put on sunscreen. No, nobody needs to get hurt.
2: Oh, and, and happy Juneteenth, y'all. This is a, a new holiday, a good holiday. You, you hit, Celebrate accordingly. You you hit
1: it for me. <laughs> you, 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 you hit my point, I'm sorry. What I want to talk about everybody. <laughs> no, it's all good. Please, I want as many people as we can to talk about it. Please celebrate your Juneteenth, your Liberation Day, your Emancipation Day, your Freedom Day, your Jubilee Day, your June 19th. 1865. Everyone, please celebrate it. Um, it means a great deal to me personally. Um, I have celebrated this long before it was a federal holiday. It becoming a federal holiday has been a great deal to me personally and my family. Uh, I will be cooking out. I will be on my grill. Uh, probably going to make myself a, a, a ribeye to mm, celebrate. Nice. Uh, um, yeah, we. I use chunk charcoal, baby. It's gonna. It's come out. Come out great. Um, but please celebrate. Enjoy it. Um, and Uh, 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 remember those that came before so that you can enjoy the freedoms that they would have wanted their descendants to have. Uh, We have a website, Jeff. Uh, What is the URL so people can find us? It
0: is feedyourmascot.squarespace.com. It will be in the show notes um, along with the specific link for listener questions because I'll say we'd love to have a, a listener questions episode coming up in the coming weeks, um, as well as we do have a social that we will put some uh, fun stuff as we uh, enjoy our weekends as well up there, um, and also reminders on when, when episodes come out.
1: I'll be coming up with a brand new uh, visual. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like yet, but it will be a square because I keep getting <laughs> admonished for not making squares, uh, but I am working on a new one. Uh, And so we'll have one of those with the new episode And uh, hopefully we'll get everything put together I want everyone to remember the question What is legislation That has affected some sport that you enjoy That has somehow seeped into your Mind space? Hopefully you can tell Us about that and that'll be what we want to hear about This episode. So we look forward to Hearing from everybody. We got a lot of stuff coming up Going forward and I like to end Every episode the same way Remember to feed Your mascot